right, good morning. 2023. It's almost gone. It goes fast, doesn't it? It seems like it's going faster and faster, to me, anyway. The older you get, it'll even go really fast. But 2023 is about done. And we're going to be heading into 2024. It's going to be a whole new year. It's good for us always to ask ourselves the question, is 2024 or is that next year going to be different for me? Am I going to continue to run hard? <clears throat> or am I going to begin to run hard in my Christian walk? I don't think that this is a time for the church to retreat, to withdraw. There's a real world out there that is full of sin. There's a real devil out there that wants to defeat you. And, but we have Jesus Christ. We have his word. We have his Holy Spirit that gives us everything that we need to advance even in a very troubled world. One of the things that Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians, he's writing to a church of believers that were under very difficult times. In our worship song, he takes us in these paths, doesn't he, that sometimes are hard paths. Anybody in that path right now? A hard path in life. Difficulties, maybe, that are there. He allows us to go on these hard paths, but he's with us, isn't he? He's with us in them. And as I shared last Sunday about his name being Wonderful Counselor, he leads us in those paths quite often for our good because he wants to grow us. He wants us to remain dependent upon him. But I love this Bible plan that Pastor Kyle has put before us. It's one that I'm going to start tomorrow. And so I'm going to be right with you. And I encourage you to encourage even others in this church. Let's read it together. Let's let 2024 be different than 2023. Let's get challenged to go a little further in our walks with the Lord this next year. And so that's my encouragement to you. You were given, and if you don't have one, there's more on the back uh, table and a little holder back there of that Bible reading plan. You were also given a, a brief outline of what I'm going to be looking at, sharing with you today. Uh, God's blueprint for success and dependence on the Holy Spirit taken from Acts 2.42. And I want us all as a church to be on the same page. Calvary Chapel Fellowship, to be on the same page of why we come here each week, what we're here for, and, and what, we're, what God wants to do through this church. And I want it to be God's way, 
I don't want it to be my man-made way, but I want it to be God's way for the church. God's blueprint for the church. And I had to add that on, dependence on the Holy Spirit, because that's key. But we're currently in the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, most of us know. And remember that the book of Acts, excuse me, it's a record. We might call it a history book in the New Testament of the early church. And many of our Bibles have the heading on at the beginning of Acts. It says the Acts of the Apostles. Does your Bible read that way? But I think it's probably better understood as the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and really through the church. That is the record, that is the history that we have in the book of Acts. I don't know if you knew this, but the Holy Spirit is mentioned 98 times in the book of Acts. Now, if you take the 28 chapters that make up the book of Acts, that's a little more than three times per chapter that the Holy Spirit is spoken of. I think that's significant. As a matter of fact, whenever you read your Bibles and you see repeated words, it's important to to take notice of that because quite often it's making an emphasis upon something. And in this case, I believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit through God's church. That's you and I. There's no formal ending to the book of Acts either. If you read the very last words of the book of Acts in chapter 28, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is telling us this work continues on through you and I. It it didn't end there 2,000 years ago. It continues today in the church. But other than Acts chapter 2, which is our text today, other than this small section of scripture, we don't have any real, excuse me, model or blueprint, we might call it, for the church. There are pastors and churches and leaders throughout all the years that have debated of what the church is really for. Why are we here? Why, you know, what we're about? How do we grow a church? What steps do we take to mature a church? What about discipleship? What do we do with that? But I think that we can glean from Acts chapter 2 some important truths about what God's model is for the church. And maybe some of the ways in which the church has gotten away from that. One of the terms that came up years ago theologically is the term sola scripture, which really means by definition that everything that we practice and do as a church, that it lines up with the Bible, simply put. It lines up with the word of God. In other words, we don't practice things that we don't find in the Bible. I think that's important. It is to me. I hope it is to you because this is our manual. 
This is what we look to to tell us this is what church should be, what it should be like. But there are others, let's say within the church, that have the mindset that as long as it works, as long as it's drawing people, as long as it's ministering to people, it must be of God. And there are lots of things that have come down through church history that you would never find in the Bible. Yet churches practice those things. They do those things, but they don't line up with Scripture. And I think that there should be warning flags when you go to a church that is doing things. Where's that in the Bible? Because this is the manual. This is what we look to, to determine what we should practice and what really gives glory to God. Our church here, Calvary Chapel Fellowship, has the mindset of sola scripture. What we do, what we practice, needs to be found in the Word of God. Here's just a few statistics. I don't know if you like statistics. I don't always like them, but sometimes it's good to look at statistics to kind of get an idea of what's out there, what's going on in the church. Here's just a few. There's about 4,500 Protestant churches that have closed their doors in 2019. You say, well, why are you going so far back? It's probably worse today. And that's just because the survey that was done by Lifeway Research, that's the last time that they did that. They surveyed the churches. But I want you to think of 4,500 Protestant churches closing their doors in the United States. They say that in that same year, there were 3,000 church starts meaning a brand new church began. So 4,500 close, 3,000 new church starts. And that's the first time in their surveying since they started surveying this question that they've actually seen it flip the other way. More churches closing their doors than churches that are starting up brand new. That's a trend. That's a, that's a direction that maybe we're seeing happen in the United States. I lived in the UK for six years. A, a nation that saw a revival 100 years ago changed the face of the country to 100 years later and finding a good Bible teaching church and finding very many Christians that are unashamed of their faith is few and far. It can happen here in America, and I believe we tend to be on that trend right now. Here's another <clears throat> statistic. There's approximately 300,000 Protestant churches in America. And if you divide that by the 50 states, that's about 6,000 Protestant churches. I use the word Protestant churches per state. A lot of churches. 
Can you, can you imagine what the church could accomplish if God can uh, turn the world upside with these 12 disciples? We've got a lot of Christians in the United States, or at least a big number of professing Christians. Another study by Pew Research, pretty reputable, they found that the number of Americans who identified as Christian was 64% in 2020. And 30% of the U.S. population was classed as religiously unaffiliated with anything. 30%. 64% I'm Christian. About 6% of Americans identified with Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhists. 6%. Since the 1990s, large numbers of Americans have left Christianity to join the growing ranks of U.S. adults who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. A growing trend in America. I think that these statistics, these trends, these things should grab our attention as a church. Personally, as a church body, as a local church here. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4.1, he said this, this was a warning by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith. This is what he said. He says, now the spirit, that spirit is God's spirit, expressly says that in the latter times, I think we're in that time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, it's a warning. 2,000 years ago, Paul is giving this warning that in the latter days, some would depart from the faith. Things are heating up in our world, are they not? Things are getting tough. We're human beings, just because we're, we're still human, we feel the effects of this world. We feel the effects of sin. We see the compromise that's even going on within the church in so many ways. It affects us. If we allow it to affect us in a name, we'll just withdraw. We'll stop going. The trend is, is that fewer people are going to church today than they were three years ago. Paul warns that there will be some that will depart from the faith. Some will be deceived by deceiving spirits. And they'll get caught up into bad doctrine. Paul calls it the doctrine of demons, rightfully said. You see, bad doctrine, if it's not coming from God, it's coming from Satan. You say, well, are there churches that are teaching doctrines of demons? Unfortunately, yes. 
Things that are confusing to the people. Things that are unbiblical. Things that take and, and, and uh, take Jesus off the throne and put it upon man. We have to be careful. I believe that it's a real and present danger in the church today. People used to say, and I think they still do, these words. Teach the word, preach the word, and the people will come. Teach the word, or preach the word, and the people will come to your church. Unfortunately for some, for some people, and even for some churches, that's not all that the people want. The, the word of God is not sufficient to bring them in, to draw the people. They want more than just the word of God. We know that the church is where needs are met. We come here to encourage one another, to pray for one another. But we come to this place because we want to hear from God. Ultimately, I want to worship the Lord in this place. I want to hear the word of God taught. Because I want to hear from him. I want to mature and I want to grow. That's why it's so important. This Bible reading plan. Make that an effort on your part to say, I'm going to commit myself whether I feel like it or not. To read God's word every single day. And I will guarantee you that 2024 will probably be, if you've never done it, it's going to be one of your best years. It's going to have an effect upon you. Here's some interesting polls by Barna Research. They give us the top 10 reasons that people pick. A specific church to join. If I all asked you, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here at Calvary Chapel Fellowship? You'd have your reasons that you could tell me. Here's the top ten. The first is the theological beliefs and the doctrines of the church. I think that's a good one. We want to know what this church is teaching and that it's biblical and it's true to the word of God. Number two. The people seem to care about each other. This is in a survey of a lot of people that took this survey and they gave their reasons of what they were looking for when they found a church. Number three, the quality of the sermons that were preached. Number four, how friendly the people were to visitors. Number five, how involved the church is in helping the poor and the disadvantaged people. Number six, the quality of the programs and the classes for the children. Number seven, how much you like the pastor. That's an interesting one. How much you like the pastor. Number eight, the denomination the church is affiliated with. Important to some. 
Number nine, the quality of the adult Sunday school classes. And number 10, the convenience of the times of their weekend. In other words, when the service is being held. Top 10 reasons. I've heard other reasons as a pastor. Things that people were looking for that they didn't find. That they felt they needed. And why we come to church and why we come to this place needs to be asked in our hearts of why I'm here. You see, you don't come to church just to be another person sitting there paying your dues to God each week. You come to this place because we're called to this place to come and to serve one another and to ultimately be serving God in it. To be a witness to this world. To go outside of this place as we get built up and to be a witness in this world. I want to start 2024 talking about the purpose of the church, but more specifically the purpose and the vision of Calvary Chapel Fellowship, this church. What model or what example does Calvary Chapel Fellowship follow? What's our model for church? And what is the goal and the purpose of Calvary Chapel Fellowship? Why are we here amongst quite a few churches that are here in Winston-Salem? But first, I want to look at the question of what model or what example is Calvary Chapel Fellowship following? As I already shared, sola scripture. Look to the Bible, glean from it to tell us and to give us, if we, as I'm calling it today, the blueprint of what church should be, what it should look like. Calvary Chapel, if you didn't know this, and not everybody here probably does know this, but Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of a lot of different Calvary Chapels around the world. As a matter of fact, there's about 1,800 or more Calvary Chapels that have been started since the early 70s. We are classified as non-denominational as a church. And... That's not because we're opposed to denominations. We're actually, we're not opposed to denominations. It's just the, sometimes the overemphasis that can be placed upon a particular denomination that has, I believe, in a lot of ways, led to the division of the body of Christ. So Calvary Chapel Fellowship, a non-denominational church, a Bible teaching church, One that just sticks to the word of God, sola scripture. I believe that we need to have a clear understanding also of who the church is. And what does God say makes a person a church member? I have people ask me, how do you become a member here at Calvary Chapel? A lot of churches have membership. But you see, God sees members in only one way. You either know him as your Lord and Savior or you don't. And if you know him as Lord and Savior, 
then you became a member of God's church. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It has nothing to do with the denomination. It has to do with you doing what God has required for somebody to be part of what the scriptures say, the body of Christ. We need to be clear in our understanding of who the church is and who God says are the members. And one of the ways that we can see this is by looking at the Bible and looking at the word church. It's the Greek word ecclesia. The word Greek word ecclesia is translated into our English Bibles that you read the word church or assembly, an assembly of believers. It's important to note that this word, this Greek word ecclesia, that it always refers to people. It doesn't refer to denominations. It doesn't refer to church buildings. You know, the, the building over here and the building over there. That's a church building, but that's not the church. The church are the people inside. You're the church if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. There's a lot of people, as we all know, that go to church. But that doesn't make them a member of God's church. That's important, isn't it? How many people go to church, yet they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Going to church doesn't get us to heaven. Being a part of a denomination doesn't get us to heaven. Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is what God requires for you to be a member of his church. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples, he asked them this important question. Who do men say that I am? And even more important than that, Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, one of the twelve, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered Peter and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, he's the one that revealed this truth to you right now. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Those are important words. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What God starts, his church, he says the gates of hell themselves will not prevail against his church. It's his church. This is not my church, <clears throat> by the way. It's not Pastor Kyle's church. This is his church. We're just simply vessels or instruments that God has called to this church as well as you. Calvary Chapel Fellowship is a church 
that I believe is being governed by God. I know for myself that I want nothing more than for God to be the shepherd of this church. I want him to be the one that speaks into my heart. I want to hear from him. This is his church. And you're his sheep. And he has just simply given that responsibility to myself and to Pastor Kyle to shepherd the sheep that are here in the right way. To disciple the people that come to this place. To teach them the word of God. That's what I believe this church is about. This word church can speak of all true believers. I want you to understand this. The word church, if I use that term in a general way, can speak of all true believers over the whole world. And God knows who those people are in his church. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about a particular local church. I'm talking about every true believer in this world that knows Christ is part of God's church. It can also be a local church, though, in Scripture. We see letters being written to a local church. The seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Local churches. Churches reading this, this particular letter. You that call Calvary Chapel Fellowship your church, you're a member in this church by the sheer fact that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you call it your church. You just became a member. Forty years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith and his wife Kay, they started the first Calvary Chapel in Southern California, back in the 70s. And that church, it, it grew into a, as I already said, a fellowship of churches of 1,800 plus churches around the world. A work of God. It wasn't a work of Chuck. It was a work of God and His Holy Spirit as the churches began to open up around the world. But I started Calvary Chapel with Pastor Chuck in 1975. That's how long I've been a part of this Calvary Chapel Fellowship of Churches. And the Chuck that I knew then was the same Chuck that I saw 38 years later at a 2013 pastor's conference. He was the same Chuck. I didn't see him change in 38 years about what he was about and what he was doing in his own church. You see, some pastors, they start off well, but they don't finish well. Some of us maybe have known pastors like that. It's sad. It's hard. But Pastor Chuck, I believe, he was just a man like any other pastor, just a man, but I believe that he was a man who finished well. And he went home to be with Jesus October 3rd, 2013. I don't believe that Calvary Chapel is the only church. Understand that. I don't believe that it's the only style of ministry 
that pleases God. There's a lot of churches out there that please the Lord. It's just that I've come to love the ministry of Calvary Chapel. I love the style and the ministry of Calvary Chapel for me personally. Chuck started Calvary Chapel using the biblical model of Acts 2.42. It's our text today. It reads this way, look at your Bibles. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. That's it. Pretty simple. As a matter of fact, it seems too simple for some. We need to add some bells and whistles to this. We we need to add some other types of things. And as long as those things that are being added are biblical, it's okay. But we need to keep it biblical. Chuck was a pastor who was faithful to the Word of God. He kept things simple. This is what I know of him. And he was my pastor for a number of years, actually for all that year, because I heard him quite often, even though I wasn't in his church for 38 years. He kept things simple. His style of ministry was pretty simple. He just taught the people the word of God. He used Acts 2.42 as his model, his blueprint. And Chuck remained faithful to God and his word for all of those years. I think he took the people through the whole entire Bible in his course of 40 some years of ministry six times. From Genesis to Revelation, the people had gone through the Bible. I think that's incredible. And even though Pastor Chuck's uh, church that it grew numerically into a very large church. He never changed the principles of ministry that he started with. Even as he got big. He used to remind the pastors when we would come to a pastor's conference. He used to quite often remind them at these conferences. He would say, simply teach the word simply. Simply teach the word simply. That was something that he would encourage the pastors with. And isn't that what we want? We want to hear the word of God taught in a way that's understandable. And we want to hear the whole counsel of God's word. To hear God speak to you through his word. I hope you hear his voice. I hope that if you take on this Bible reading plan, you're going to hear his voice. Speaking to you as an individual as you go through it. I think that's what we need. If you want to grow in faith, you want to grow in maturity. You've got to spend time knowing Jesus through his word. Spend time in his word. 
Here's another great, uh, great quote from a man by the name of Warren Worsby. He was a pastor and commentator, book writer. In his book on being a servant of God is the title. He writes this. Methods are many. Think of that. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. Those are, those are good words. I love it. You see, changing methods in ministry in itself is not wrong. As a matter of fact, I believe that some churches need to change. Some churches need to have a change in them. They need to become more current with today's culture. But not to change the principles. The methods can change. The principles should never change. With Chuck, Pastor Chuck, this model always stayed the same. His methods, and I was a part of it for quite a few years, seeing what Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa was the name of the church. How it, it changed through the years of ministry and had different things that they did as a church. But the principles of ministry for Pastor Chuck and the leadership there never changed. Teaching people the word of God was a up here at the top as to the need that he saw in the church. People need to know the word of God. It's the only thing I can give them. And I feel the same way. What I give out, the only thing I can really give you is the word of God. Keep it as pure to the word. That's the best for you. There's a book that Pastor Chuck wrote years ago. It's called Calvary Chapel Distinctives. Anybody read that here? Raise your hand if you have. Calvary Chapel Distinctives. Okay, so there's a lot of you that haven't. I went ahead and I had uh, Pastor Kyle put onto our website. If you go onto our website, you'll go uh, onto the menu and you can hit the tab that says Connect. Calvary Connect. It'll just say Connect. If you go and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, you're going to see the book, Calvary Chapel Distinctives, and you can hit on the tab that's there that'll download a PDF file. Now, this book is not a hard read. It's like 67 pages, I think, and 12 chapters. It's an easy read. But if you want to know about what the philosophy of ministry of Calvary Chapel is, that's going to give you some good insight right there. Here's just a few of the chapters that are there. The first one that I really think is real important is building the church God's way. Taken from Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I want this church to be built on the, by the spirit of God. Not man's effort, not my effort. Here's another chapter in the book, Grace Upon Grace. You think, well, man, that's, that's so needful. 
But what's the opposite of grace? And if you've ever been to a church that doesn't administer much grace, you'll know what I mean. Grace upon grace. Hebrews 13.9 says, For it is good that the heart be established by grace. God's unmerited favor. Another chapter, the priority of the word. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come, Paul encouraged Timothy, give attention to the reading of the word, to exhortation and to doctrine. He's telling Timothy, a young man that is going to be a young pastor, to preach the word, Timothy. Don't stop preaching and teaching the word of God to your people. Here's another chapter, the centrality of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And then lastly, the supremacy of love. Let love be the supreme thing that motivates us in what we do. My love for God and my love for one another. That should be our motivation in all that we do. John 13, 35. By this all will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the primary thing of an a earmark of a Christian. Their love for God and their love for one another. I encourage all of you to look at that book and to read it. It'll help you in understanding really even what this church, what the foundation of this church is about. I believe that a healthy church growth is the result of healthy sheep reproducing more sheep. Does that make sense to you? Healthy sheep, people that are maturing and growing, producing more sheep. In other words, it has a, we have a responsibility to go out and be a witness for Christ. Uh, even in compelling people to come into this, this church, uh, Pastor Kyle made up these invite cards. There's a bunch of them on the back. We've got a lot of them. I would encourage you to take a few of those that are this size so you can put them in your wallet. You can put them in your purse. And you can use them as the Lord leads to invite people to come along. It's the best way for a church to grow. Personal invite. As a matter of fact, a healthy church that is growing numerically, it's estimated that 90% of the new people who come along to a church, they came by way of personal invite. 90% is what the survey says. Invited by someone personally to come along. I want you to have the vision for this church, that this is not just the church that I attend, but we have a vision with the rest of the church, with the rest of the leaders in this church, that I want to be a part of seeing God's church grow. And I can be an instrument that God could use in doing that. That's you catching the vision for Calvary Chapel Fellowship. A healthy church is not just a church that is growing, though, numerically. It's one that is growing in faith and maturity. That happens through the Word of God. It happens through discipleship. And we're going to be looking at starting some other 
uh, smaller discipleship classes, we call them foundations classes, maybe following Sunday's service in 2024 to do some more discipleship with whoever wants to come along for some more teaching and in in, in growth and maturity. My desire for Calvary Chapel Fellowship is that when we come to this place, we're coming here to hear the Word of God taught, to worship the Lord, to experience His love in this fellowship for us, and our love for one another, that we would extend that grace to one another, that we would be forgiving and gracious towards each other, that we would witness God's presence and power in this place, that we would see Jesus Christ being lifted up in every aspect of what we do. In our worship, in the teaching, everything that we do, the, the name of Jesus Christ is being lifted up. That we would worship from pure hearts to the Lord. That we would do the same even downstairs with our children, all of our teachers teaching our children, teaching our youth. The same mindset. That these kids would grow up loving Jesus and walk with the Lord. That we would be that salt and that light to this world. That we would leave this place every week saying, God, would you use me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? God, I want to be used of you to shine for you in this dark and dying and desperate world. One person put it this way. The growth of a local church is the natural byproduct of its spiritual health, its intimate relationship to God. The church belongs to Christ, not to us. He has a unique plan and purpose for each local church that makes up his body. Christ, not man, makes the local church grow. Christ is also interested in the right motives for church growth. And this is what he says, love for sinners, a sacrificing lifestyle that is salt and light to this world and dependence upon God. I think that's good. Let's look at real quickly and you have that outline that you have in hand and we'll Go through this fairly quick. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it reads this way. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, they had all things in common and sold their possessions and good and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That, I believe, is a great model, a great blueprint, we'll call it, for what the church should be doing, how it should be operating, what we're about. But notice in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, they stayed committed. They stayed focused on the scriptures. And at that time, it would have been real specifically the apostles' doctrine. They didn't even have their own Bible. Just the teaching of the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in that. To be steadfast in something means to be strong towards something, to endure in something, to continue steadfastly in a thing. It's the hearing of God's word, it's the fellowship, it's the communion, it's the prayers that the early church continued in. They didn't start out with a bang, you know, and then just kind of fade away from those things. They continued in them. They were a fellowshipping church. Verse 42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship was part of the early church. Getting together with other believers for encouragement, for prayer, for communion together. They were a Christ-centered church. They remained focused on, I believe, Christ and the cross. The, the breaking of bread that you read here or the partaking and we're going to take communion this morning is something that they did quite often. They had a love feast. They would sit down. They'd have a meal together. And they'd, the last part of that meal, they would take that cup and that bread and they would remember their Lord. It was part of their life. They were a praying church. In verse 42, they, they broke bread and they also end in prayers. I think that's a good model. To call this a God's house of prayer. To come to this place to partake of communion together as a body of Christ. That's why we do it. So we don't forget. They were a reverent church. Look what it says in 2.43. Then fear came upon every soul. We read in Acts 9.31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And it says this of them, They were all walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then it says that they were multiplied. There's something about walking in that awe and that reverential fear of the God that we serve. This is His church. The early church was a reverent church towards God. They were an observant church. Look what it says in 43. They saw and they experienced God working in their midst. It says that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They saw God working. Acts 5.12 says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. We want to see God move in this place. Move in your life. Do things that we can't do. 
They were a fellowshipping church. In verse 44, now all who believed were together and they had all things in common. A fellowshipping church. They knew the needs that were there in their fellowship and they sought to meet the needs. Because they were a sacrificial church. In verse 45, it says they sold their possessions and their goods. And then we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35, it says, nor was there any one among them that who lacked. For all who had possessions of lands or houses, they sold them and they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. They laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. That's radical for some. To think that, that we would go to that distance for one another. Go to that extent. They were a loving church. Verse 45. As anyone had need. They were sensitive to one another. Of what was going on. Trying to help. Trying to come alongside. They were a consistent church. Verse 46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Consistency. They were a unified church. Verse 46, breaking of bread from house to house, partaking of this Lord's table. Unified. They were a worshipful church. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And lastly, they were an evangelizing church. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Sounds like a great church. Sounds like one I'd like to go to. And may Calvary Chapel Fellowship be one of those churches that follows this blueprint, which I believe is a good model. As I read this text, in Acts 2, I was reminded that if we as a church fellowship would follow this example of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our church would be a healthy, fruitful church. It'd be a church that's reaching outside these walls because that's the heart of our Lord. To get outside these walls and to reach this world for Him. Matter of fact, when that last person receives Christ, we're all going home to be with the Lord. We won't be coming to the church building anymore. Church will be in heaven. I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you are too. 1 John 3.16, if you don't have this one memorized, memorize it. It's a great verse. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. Jesus did. And we ought also to lay down our life for one another. That's it. That's, that hits the nail on the head of what God wants to do through you and I. We are going to partake of communion right now. And as I shared this early church it was a really a daily part of their time together, whether that was at a personal family, mom, dad with their kids, or they had a neighbor over, 
or they had others in their house. It was a regular part of their fellowshipping to have communion together. Did you know that the same Greek word koinonia is translated communion, but it's also translated fellowship. Those two words go hand in hand with communion. As a matter of fact, you've heard me say on past occasions that I believe that the body of Christ is never closer to one another than when we gather around the communion table. Why? Because this is the center of it all. This is what it's all about. He died for us. He gave it all up for us that we would, could become a child of God. And we have this fellowship, this unity amongst one another that we're all believing in, and it's, we're all on the same page with that. Communion and fellowship with one another. And so we're going to uh, have the worship team come up. We're going to um, either going to lead in a worship song. But I want to encourage you uh, Ed, that if you're here today and maybe you need some prayer, maybe you want to make a fresh new start for 2024. Maybe the Lord's prompting your heart in that way. I'm going to stand up here as everyone comes up. If you want to come over and you need prayer, come up and see me. And I'll pray with you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not born again. You're not saved. I could put it in about 10 different ways. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come on up and we'll pray together. Then you can partake. Then you can take the bread and the cup and go back to your seat. And it's going to be so much better. You need to know the Lord before this really has any great significance to us. And so let's all search our hearts as this worship song is being played. Search your own personal heart of where you stand today with the Lord. And do you feel like you're just, you're giving it all up for Him or do you feel like I've just been held back but I want to run in 2024? My prayer is that we would run this church would run in a harder way in 2024. Let's worship. <laughs>